Welcome to Music and the Church, a podcast with insight into today's diverse worship landscape, tips for a happier, healthier ministry, and interviews with organists, choir directors, and other worship leaders. I'm Sarah Bariza, a researcher and church musician based in Cincinnati, Ohio, and today I'm bringing you a bonus episode with musician and theologian Dr. Tanya Riches. In episode 8, we heard Tanya discuss the new book, The Hillsong Movement Examined, You Call Me Out Upon the Waters a collection of essays which she co-edited with Dr. Tom Wagner. In that episode, she talked about Hillsong's music, how women lead worship in the church, and how she and Tom approached Hillsong as scholars working on the inside and the outside of the church. In this bonus episode, Tanya gives us an overview of the entire book, 15 essays in all, and then does a deep dive into her chapter about women's ministries at Hillsong, especially the sisterhood. In that section of this episode, starting about 14 minutes in, she explores how many Hillsong women internalize a narrative about their identity that doesn't in fact line up with their own experiences. Contrary to accusations of a so-called princess theology, the women Tanya interviewed said that they had empowering experiences of leadership in the church and training that allowed them to fulfill their potential. You can see the show notes for this episode at musicandthechurch.com slash hillsongbonus. Here's Tanya telling us the backstory of how the Hillsong Movement Examined came to be a collection of essays. Tom and I, um, you know, had had this conversation for probably five years and maybe a little bit longer, actually. <laughs> and so, like, we had talked about various events that happened in the church. So Tom had done some work on things like the Easter campaigns, like Cross Equals Love, um, and some things that we'd presented at conferences together. We'd presented at conferences apart. And so we kind of, in a pub in Oxford, after the Congregational Song Conference, we sat there and we just kind of shot the breeze about what what this was forming into. It was kind of really interesting. We kind of started with this idea of like, I don't want to write a book without you <laughs> was kind of both of us yeah, were like yeah. saying this. And so, cause, because we'd found this kind of, yeah, really important dialogue as being really life giving for us. And then, so I was saying, I don't want to write a book without you because I don't think it will be really considered rigorous in the scholarly square. And so I don't want to do that. And Tom was going, well, I don't want to write a book about you because I think that my ideas are going to date really quickly if I don't have someone from the congregation kind of giving feedback as to whether that's still true. Yeah. And so like, we kind of came to this point where we were just looking at each other and we're like, okay, well, <laughs> then we're writing a book together (laughs) and then I think you know then we started to talk about what some of the problems with that were so for me I felt really um concerned that if we wrote a book about Hillsong and it became you know the definitive text because it had both of our ideas kind of pushing into this um into what Hillsong was and defining what Hillsong was then it didn't really give the church leadership an option to say that's not really us that's the opinion of two random researchers and that was really important to me as an insider because obviously Pastor Brian and Bobby are the senior pastors of our church there's a board there's really very um key leaders who have discernment about that community and I've just felt like that in religious scholarship sometimes we we didn't take that the layers into account so that might be Mm -hmm. true for me and how I engage that church but it's not maybe true for the leadership of the church and it might not be true for someone sitting in a congregation and like and Hillsong is so expansive I think that's the thing we realized as well you know we could write a book about the church but you know, is it really going to have any relevance to someone sitting in South Africa or, you know, a new church in Portugal um, or, you know, our European congregations? So we kind of thought about some of the 
this dialogue and we thought about how life-giving that was for us. We thought, well, maybe what if we engaged the church leadership in that dialogue? And then we started just listing some other people that we really loved. So, and, you know, we both were vetting them, I guess, a list, the short list of scholars that we wanted to be in that conversation. So basically it's like a dinner party, but we both live on different continents. And so we had to do it in the, in the nerdiest way possible, which is we had to get our friends to write a chapter. <laughs> I guess there's some like parts to the book and maybe that's kind of helpful to kind of talk through. So um, there are four parts. Um, the first part's really about the Australian origin story. So I felt like there was no way really to talk about Hillsong without really locating it in Australia and seeing it as an Australian story. So obviously not everyone engages Hillsong in that way. That's not how, say, a person in the US might pick up the CDs and engage them, but I still felt that that was really important. Um, So we got some historians and some people who'd been involved in that conversation to do the first section. So that means there's a denominational history, so that's told by Denise Austin. And then also Mark Hutchinson, who's a really, really well-known Australian historian, does a sociology, a chapter of just, I guess, the the contours of Hillsong as a conversation congregation and how that fits within the the social setting at the time and then Mark Evans does the musicological chapter and really just and he's the first person who ever did research on Hillsong Church uh, and that was on Hillsong Music Mm -hmm. and so it kind of felt like they were the right people you know to do that section of the book and then so part two uh, is really about the congregation itself. So my chapter it addresses the um, women of the church, which was something, you know, that I really felt would be lacking if it wasn't there. Also, there's a scholar who taught for many years at Hillsong um, International Leadership College. So he talks about the notion of international and the, the idea of ethnos from his biblical interpretation of that. So because Hillsong is very much a multi, multi-ethnic, multicultural church, and I guess how that is really understood by people of colour. Um, I think Isaac really represents that in, and talks through, you know, the biblical understanding of it because I think there's still some work to be done in that and that area and um, how Hillsong mm-hmm. understands itself as a really diverse congregation. And then there was just this really fun, um, there's a researcher, Christina Rocha, who's managed to get a grant to look at the relationship between Hillsong and Brazilian immigrants. So that was just really fun because the Hillsong musicians have this phrase like the come to Brazil effect where any given post there's someone saying come to Brazil <laughs> um, and so we just really felt that that actually really was an important part of this the Brazilians form like a really beautiful community in the city congregation and, and so that was a really that's a really lovely chapter about fashion and fame and all the things that Brazilians love about Hillsong um, and so I think like you know that part two is really just that our congregation in in Australia and how that rolls out across the globe, and then um, part three is really just three kind of contours of that are beyond the imaginary of the congregation. So one of those will probably be the most popular chapter, which is one that we just chatted about um, when Reagan's chapter, which mm-hmm. really I guess it probably addresses the perception of Hillsong from the US context. And Mm -hmm, from, like, I guess the perspective of someone who might sit in the US and receive these CDs (laughs) and, you know, be reading about Hillsong in the media. And that's a real, very real engagement with Hillsong. So, you know, he's done a really great job there. And then, so 
Mark Porter took an, um, his chapter really addresses church planting, and I think it's just so beautiful because he was based in this in St Aldate's, the Anglican congregation in Oxford, when mm-hmm. Hillsong planted there. Mm-hmm. And so he talks about that from his perspective and talks about the difference, um, the differences in the churches and how their position kind of grew out of t- out in time. Because I think one of the one of the maybe fallacies is that you know Hillsong moves into a city and then <laughs> absorbs all the churches in the city. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> and I think you know it's it's um it's flattering <laughs> but um and of course you know for a local pastor I can understand that is a really deep fear but I think throughout this project you know we realized that there were some things that were happening and some things that weren't happening so he kind of writes those down we actually have a podcast episode about him or with him episode four and he's talking about saint aldate's and not so much about hillsong but about the contemporary worship at saint aldate's yeah which is um and i i love that he was able to um you know from the perspective of someone who is really involved as an anglican you know Mm -hmm. involved in his music team was able to really look at what hillsong brought to the city and what it maybe perhaps offered that aldate's didn't and the two communities that grew up you know in the same city because I think mm-hmm. I mean obviously the Anglican communion is global <laughs> um Hillsong yeah. is also now yeah. global um we often from the Sydney perspective um we feel like the Anglican church is the state player like it's a really large um you know a large mm-hmm. church in Australia it has a lot of social presence it's got a voice that perhaps Pentecostals don't <laughs> and so to think about you know St Aldate's going oh my goodness what's going to happen with Hillsong moving into the city in Oxford that just was mm-hmm. it's kind of lovely you know to think about how communities engage globally yeah. so that's a really fun chapter and then also in that section is Kinga um, who looks at the way that Hungarian youth have used Hillsong music um, particularly in the decline of the communist era so um, it was kind of a, it's kind of been used as a resistance movement and so you have these like spaces of community and youth music and you know life and energy and that's really facilitated by these these songs and then I guess the final chapter in that section is Andrew Davies from the University of Birmingham and he really talks about the Hillsong website like like I guess you know from my perspective mm-hmm. I can be really honest and say most people <laughs> that's the level of engagement that they've had with Hillsong is I think you know, through this, I really developed ways of understanding how people read my congregation. And I think it's true for all of us. But yeah, it's very much true for Hillsong that, you know, you look online and that's how you form your opinion as to what this community is or isn't. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, very much not how Hillsong would form its community. Like, you know, we don't use necessarily the website we're linked into the app. So I think it's just different. The final section really is just more organizational. So it's realizing that, you know, Hillsong does have this um, Hillsong is so many things. It's the people who attend, it's these ministries that it has, but there's also an organizational element. And as we move across the globe, there's some deconstruction of that. And then there's some formation of that to kind of create a really workable, good organization. And so Drew Harrison, who's a business analyst, he looks at the vision statement and he looks at the claims and the limitations of that. And it's, it's quite a, it's a fascinating chapter because it's quite critical of the faith, I guess, <laughs> statements that um, are made by the church and the possibilities for that within a neoliberal world. So that was like really fascinating. And then Chris Parks is um, one of our lecturers at Hilson College and he looks at what are called the position papers. So these are these secret documents that nobody really would have access to except our pastors. And they really form how our pastors would develop like pastoral responses to various things in our congregation. So he talked about how those are formed. Yeah. So whereas in a denomination such as I guess you know the Anglican Church there would be some 
passed down, you know, kind of, yeah, like you would have some standards and church kind of um, ways of doing things that are written and documented. And I guess, you know, we would love to be at that stage, but I think um, Hillsong's Mm -hmm. a bit of an interesting thing because our media statements from the church and then our pastoral practices are so completely different to that. So that's just really how it's developed because people were oh, really yeah. interested in these PR statements needed to be made sometimes and still need to be made. Um, but then that's very different to the internal function of our congregation. So the position papers are basically like groups of lay people and pastoral staff who get put on these task force to try and work out, I guess, a statement that they that they feel they can sign off on on a particular issue. So Chris was involved mm-hmm. in um, one regarding surrogacy and IVF um, and some of the issues that emerged in our congregation around those around the, that theme. And so they formed a position paper. And he basically just says that mm-hmm. these position papers allow local responses. So they're kind of very broad. Things like we affirm life, basic Christian doctrines are encapsulated inside of these um, statements. But then mm-hmm. they also seek to not exclude for pastoral practice. So, you know, if, some, if someone's gone through certain life um, you know, experiences. It's not seeking to, you know, create doctrine that would judge that, but to try and facilitate their involvement in the community and work through those issues with them. So it allows for really local responses, but they're centralized in that they're, yeah, they're in, they're on a website and pastors get access to them. So anyway, that was kind of interesting and probably something that people know about Hillsong. Then Tom looks at the Hillsong brand. So he's really, um, that's really his thing. Mm-hmm. Tom's done excellent work in branding and music, um, at, particularly at Hillsong. Yes. So that was more the organizational things, the stuff that probably, you know, get perceived as being more business practice, but they're very pastoral in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, the whole shape of the church. Right, exactly. And so I think, yeah, I think adding more content to some of that is probably more helpful because I think we can say, oh, Hillsong looks like a corporation from the outside, but that's completely mm-hmm. different to how it's experienced inside. Finally, Lee Burns just does a lovely response on behalf of Hillsong board and staff Mm -hmm. and our pastors. That was just really lovely. He just made it clear that he wasn't trying to edit any of the content. I love that you have this this response. (laughs) That it's it's not not a bunch of scholars saying here's here's how we understand you. Yeah, well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like religious communities are real. If scholars talk about them, I think we have a responsibility to them too. You know, in that sense, what I think it did, and and I think you know, academia in general is moving towards this more is co-production and saying look you know what we learn about you we want to learn with you and hopefully this builds your capacity and skill to be able to enter the conversation as fully fledged members rather than having a few experts speaking on behalf of you I think you know that for any religious community I really just dislike the idea that there could be experts that speak on behalf of a like you know a congregation or you know yeah I think it's really important so that was really beautiful and he just did a great job even the most critical of chapters um and so I think that really for me um was very much about like you know that is very much the tone of Hillsong is that there are so many voices people working together in various ways um people have different viewpoints they're conservative they're you know progressive there are all kinds of people inside of Hillsong and so but what really unifies them is you know this understanding that we're building the church and that church is the church of Jesus Christ so I think Lee made that pretty clear so yeah that that's the book The chapter you contributed to the Hillsong Movement Examined is about female leadership, and I'm wondering if you can talk about your chapter and about musical leadership as a form of pastoral leadership. 
Probably the journey of this chapter began while I was doing my PhD in Los Angeles. So I was talking to Ed Wilmington, Dr. Ed Wilmington, who's an amazing um, lecturer in the Bram Center um, for the Arts at Fuller. And I was just, I, you know, I moved to the Los Angeles and, you know, I just was free. Hillsong hadn't moved to Los Angeles yet. <laughs> um, and so I yeah. didn't have a congregation that I was really located in. And so um, my husband, Tim, and I were doing some worship leading at various churches and we were, you know, attending Lake Avenue, which I adored. And then so, which is a huge church. Anyway, so um, I just said to Ed, you know, it's really weird because I don't see a lot of women worship leaders in Los Angeles. And he said to me, he goes, look, Tanya, you're, you're right. He said, I think I'm estimating about one woman to 10 paid men worship leaders in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So I was really shocked at that, right? So I'm like, wow. Because I thought, you know, in my context, it just was a given that Darlene would worship lead until we got to the US. <laughs> and I feel like there needs to be like a bump, 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 bump. <laughs> because so complicated in the US. You guys, <laughs> what is going on there? <laughs> so at the same time, I was really surprised reading about the Anglicans in Sydney. I had no idea that the branch of Anglicans in Sydney were so right. conservative in regards to female leadership. Right. right, totally. Yeah, so the Sydney landscape is kind of um, drawn in like these kind of lines that I tried to map out in this chapter. So that kind of... The, I guess getting the objectivity allowed me to kind of see that my city was divided on this issue of women in ministry. So we have a really conservative Sydney Anglican group who would really prefer that women don't speak in public aside from, you know, two gatherings of women. And mm-hmm. they're pretty strong on that. There's a lot of emerging voices and some churches, like, so example, I would preach at an Anglican church quite regularly, <laughs> strangely mm-hmm. enough. But, um, mm-hmm. but aside from those few things, that's the broad brushstroke. And I guess that, mm-hmm. you know, also connects with the Catholic and um orthodox positions in some ways like ordained ministries for men and then on the other side we have the uniting church which is extremely pro women in ministry and but also really pro like you know diverse sexualities um in ministry and Mm -hmm. like um it would be i guess maybe liberal i think if that's i don't know if that's exactly the right word to use for every context so the evangelical liberal divide is real and hillsong kind of lives in the middle because it's really it, it believes that you know women are able to participate fully in ministry so Bobby Houston is the senior pastor of um, Sung Church, as much the senior pastor as Brian is. Even like some of the interesting things is that the word co-pastor is now starting to be challenged um, by some of my students who were like, why are we mm-hmm. calling Bobby the co-pastor, co-lead worship, the co-lead mm-hmm. pastor? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have a, a you know a worship mm-hmm. pastor who's a woman, Cass mm-hmm. Langton. But I think we do things very family-oriented. You are yourself a pastor have been right I have been yeah and you know I lecture in theology your song <laughs> to men and women <laughs> um it's yeah I mean like there's a lot of women Christine Kane and so I, I outlined some of that in the chapter like just these really influential women that have been built throughout Hillsong's history and really relate that to the development of Bobby as like this senior figure that kind of navigates this landscape of Sydney. So Mm -hmm. she often draws upon, I guess, more um, traditional metaphors of how she would talk about herself in the public space. So Mm -hmm. especially in the early years, you know, she used to talk about her role as the wife of Brian and talk about, you know, her children and very, very relatable for a woman who stays at home and looks after mm-hmm. the kids. But then on the other side, she's making all functional decisions about our church. <laughs> so um, I guess in that sense, like maybe it, it was a little bit of a t- misnomer. So I guess what I realized is that over the years, over the history, those ways that Bobby was talking was becoming very loud. And so theologians had begun to kind of 
prescribe Hillsong as being a part of something that was called princess theology. So probably around 2005. Um, and, I, and look, you know, I guess maybe there was an element of that. We had a lot of Americans that came over and loved Disney and, um, yeah. and you know, metaphors that they brought. <laughs> and I think, you know, there was a what really... The Americans? Well, no, I don't want to blame it because, like, I think, you know, at the same time we had a real love of, like, Xena. I think, like, the warrior princess metaphor was really important here. And I don't know, it just became something that, you know, the theologians almost laughed about. And so uh, so I, when I started to look at Hillsong, I was, like, cringed because I was going to have to look mm. at these these women in our church that maybe, you know, were going to a Thursday meeting and who I thought maybe were being like working out how to, you know, provide organic lunch boxes and goop kind of, you know, trading on lifestyle, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, messages and things like that. So I kind of agreed to interview the women of our church because nobody else had put up their hands to do so. And I felt like women were a really important part of our church. But yeah. on the other yeah. side, I had this super cringe, you know, like, oh my goodness, I'm just going to find that I'm like, just really going to be embarrassed by what I hear back from these women. So I made these appointments and some women were like, I, I approached some women and they said, no way, like, don't talk to me. I'm a feminist. And then I was like, that's weird. Oh, what? <laughs> they don't want to be the voice. Well, and they wow. didn't, they were like, they thought, I think because the media has so characterized Hillsong women as being these, like, like right from the early days, you know, you see these caricatures of Bobby as being this, really like ditzy woman who's like you know in Brian's shadow and who's like and so we somehow internalized these these ways of speaking about us when I started to talk to the women I actually found really interesting things so they all had internalized these kind of understandings of themselves and what it was to be a Hillsong woman which they were like really embarrassed about so that was like a large portion of these long interviews but talking about why we'd accepted those <laughs> views of ourselves and why when you know these mm-hmm. women were like diverse and from all these different places and did all of these amazing things why they would kind of we would have this Stepford Wives kind of it seems really self-evident but it wasn't until we started talking that we were like oh and then I think um you know some of the things that came out from those interviews were just incredible so like you know I found that women had basically learned these skills and capacity built at sisterhood in the Thursday meetings and then also the Thursday night um, w- meetings for working women and then all of the relationships that flowed, flowed on from this space had just really built capacity. So to the point where people were saying, look, my CEO contacted me. He said, um, you know, he was really interested in talking with me because he knew I went to Hillsong. He asked for like mm. insight as to how, you know, Hillsong builds its morale and how it like, you know, engages volunteers. And so I had an like, you know, two hour conversation with my, my CEO and my general manager about potentially tips that they could take that I'd learned from my time managing volunteers through the sisterhood. So I guess like there were all these stories. So, you know, another woman said, look, um, I applied for a position that I thought was well outside of my league, an NGO doing international development. When it came down to it, what was on my resume with the, the volunteer work that I'd done with sisterhood was 80% of the reason as to why I got the job and why I'm now working in international development. Um, my work experience was about 20% of it. So, I mean, people were saying like that being a part of this community had capacity built them in ways that were incredibly important. Literally empowering. Yes, right. So then I think, yeah, I guess I just wanted to tell that story. And then not just a feeling of being empowered, but actually like, and then I got a job. Right. And that note of empower, like, so I think, um, you know, there's like a couple of articles that are written on like, you know, this being this empty empty phrase really like empowerment is everything you know you can be empowered by buying this hair product you know like 
the media yeah, yeah. like latches onto these yeah these things it's our desire to be empowered but this actually was producing that and it was producing communities of women who were doing these like conferences that had thousands of people like these women were performing store like you know in front of like absolutely amazingly astronomical numbers of crowds yeah. and yeah and they were doing all levels of these conferences and then there was this other story just the final one that just really touched my heart and that I think you know just really encapsulates I think the sisterhood so there was this woman who was brutally honest about how she she was at another church and she just had become really dry there and she really just didn't feel like she was supposed to stay she felt like God wanted her to move on but she didn't know where to go and so a friend kind of had a conversation with her and said you know maybe you could come and try my church Hillsong and so the minute that they said said that name she just immediately thought of the media images that we have in Australia Mm so um you know like we have these like today tonight and a current affair you know like exposés Mm -hmm. of Hillsong and so she just Mm -hmm. thought like it was manipulative and she had you know she thought that um the money that you know Hillsong took from its um you know people was just yeah manipulative and she had all these like you know ideas of what Hillsong was and she couldn't find anyone like so she went to Hillsong with all these ideas in her head and you know she didn't really have that experience but she was kind of like she you know like when you come to a community and you kind of have these preconceived notions you kind of can see some things what you're saying like you're like yeah like that (laughs) I don't like that Mm -hmm. I don't like the offering message and I don't like you know this and I don't like that but she also Mm -hmm. just felt like the presence of God there and she felt like that it was a really beautiful place and she wanted to continue to go but she didn't have anyone to help really negotiate these theological issues she had like a stack of biblical questions and things like that like how does the eldership work anyway so she couldn't find anyone to answer these questions until finally these two girls sat down with her um and so they happened to be um the daughter of like some leaders in the church but they're very much part of the youth group there were two girls and they were 16 and they sat down and they answered every every question that she had and when they couldn't answer the questions that she had particularly about the finances of the church they went and they got the documentation and they brought it back to her they were completely authorized to induct new people into the church (laughs) and um Mm -hmm. and I thought you know like this is actually quite a poignant story like it's just an anecdote but this woman then told me that she went on to become a part of Hillsong Church and she really attributed the fact that she went to Hillsong and that she'd been a part of it for all these years and she's really involved in some of our domestic violent um approaches like our first response to women from mm-hmm. our city that call in and who've you know they're in situations of violence and she's a huge blessing to our church but yeah the reason that she joined was because these 16 year olds had the power to answer the questions that she really had about theological yeah. issues yeah. and that to me was like really important there's something about the way that women are authorized at Hillsong that I think is different to others other churches in our city yeah I just think they they're able to contribute so they start really young you can be a leader a girl leader you know, girl and boy but you can be a girl leader you certainly were I was yeah totally and you know started at six seven <laughs> you know, like built, built my leadership so by the time you get to 16 <laughs> you're well and surely capable of speaking on behalf of you know the leadership and you're answering questions about their motives and you you have relationship and so yeah I think that's a little bit different and so we definitely don't have you know rules around you know, who can speak in the public space and who can, you know, craft the theology of Hillsong by gender line. Hillsong, it's theologically evangelical, it's um, definitely Pentecostal, but it really does believe that the Spirit is illuminating the scriptures to 
create a like a way of us living in this very fast-paced life and in a global world that you know is becoming quite hard to navigate really to be quite honest <laughs> I think we have to realize I, I think part of the writing the book was really about letting people disagree mm. and yeah. saying yeah. you know I know people pick this up and go like um use it as a way to discredit Hillsong perhaps like cherry pick out all the bits that you know prove their point about the church my hope is that people will listen to it um, fully and say, okay, maybe I didn't understand completely. Because there's no way I couldn't get my head around the whole thing. So I don't know how anyone else would, like the bits that are inside the congregation and then the bits that are outside and then the organizational parts and the history. Like there's a lot there. Yeah. Thank you very much for talking with us. Oh, it's been lovely to hear about the book. Oh, thank you so much for um, the chat. It's an honor. That was Dr. Tanya Riches discussing the new book, The Hillsong Movement Examined, You Call Me Out Upon the Waters, a collection of essays that she co-edited with Dr. Tom Wagner. You can find out more about the book on the show notes for this episode, musicandthechurch.com slash hillsongbonus, and you can also find episode 8 of this podcast at musicandthechurch.com, which has Tanya discussing music at Hillsong, as well as women's leadership in the church, especially in their music ministries. Get in touch! Email us at musicandthechurch at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 513-580-4282. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at musicandthechurch.com slash sign up. We'll be back on Wednesday for our regular programming.